Hi, people. This is Tony Carey from Rainbow, Planet P, and all kinds of other stuff over the last 50 years uh, with you on the Follow Your Dream podcast with my good pal, Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 193 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Mike Stern, one of the all-time great guitarists. Mike started playing with Blood, Sweat and Tears at age 22, and then he hit the jackpot by playing with Miles Davis. He's gone on to record a bunch of solo albums. He's played with nearly every great musician that you can think of, but he hasn't played with me yet. And he's won practically every musical award ever created. No exaggeration. And in the middle of this interview, as I do with all my musical guests, Mike and I are going to do a song fest where we've picked out a handful of great songs that he's played on. And we're going to play a bit of them and we're going to talk about them and give you the backstory and all of that. And nobody else does this on podcasts. And you know that I like to feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end. And in this case, I have chosen the song that I wrote called Yeah, Yeah, from the album PGS7 by my band Project Grand Slam. Why? Well, Mike Stern is known for his work in fusion. I love fusion. And Yeah, Yeah is a great fusion song. So I thought it worked. So, Mike Stern, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'll tell you, you know, you and I must have overlapped for a little while, at least in Boston, back in the 70s. I was there from 68 to 75. And you were there at that time, weren't you? Yeah, in the early 70s. Early 70s, yeah. Now, you went to Berkeley. Yeah. And all the guys that I played with went to New England Conservatory. But, you know, they were kind of like the rival schools back then. They were, and they had great teachers and great programs, right? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. I, mean, I think they're one and the same. Oh, really? They combined? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that makes sense to do it that way. Yeah. So I used to play at all the clubs, you know, in Boston at that time. I'm sure you must have played at the same places. Paul's Mall, Lenny's on the Turnpike. Did you ever play there? I never played those places. I played real small places, which I really liked. Too. There was a little place called Michael's Jazz Club on Gainsborough Street that a lot of Berkeley students uh, played at. And another place that I played with this amazing tenor player, Jerry Braganzi, who's still up there. Amazing, amazing tenor saxophone player. And uh, that was called The Willow, another place in, it was in Somerville. But I never played uh, at Paul's Mall. I never did that. I went to gigs there. I saw Miles there one time. You know, we might have been at the same gig at the same time because I saw Miles there too. Yeah. You know, it was a great town at that time to play music in, for sure. I haven't lived in Boston in a long, long time, but it was a great place. 
it's still great. It still really happens in a lot of ways. Of course, there's so much music up there, but not as many clubs anywhere, you know, to play, which is unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Now we, we do it all on YouTube, unfortunately. <laughs> not my favorite, but it's the way it goes. I mean, I, I'm kind of going to say I'm neutral about it, but I really think YouTube is not a, a great thing for music or for, for spontaneous, uh, you know. I mean, it used to be you could go to a jazz club and try some new stuff, you know, and, not, and, and there wasn't the pressure. Maybe somebody would be there with a tape recorder or something like that, but it wasn't the kind of thing where you, it was going to be all of a sudden two seconds later, you know, flashed around the world, you know what I mean? Or you're trying, you know, and, and so it's, you know, you're trying some new stuff that's just not cooked yet. It's not, you're just trying it out for the first time kind of thing. And all of a sudden there's this, somebody puts up a cell phone and decides to kind of record it and it's goes wherever it goes. So it's weird from, to me that the, the idea is pretty strange. But the, the whole concept and, and the fact that somebody, and it's not the musicians, is making a lot of money off all this stuff and it doesn't come back to the musicians, it's weird. I mean, for me, for my, for, you know, because I've been so lucky, really lucky to, to, to play with the people I have and gotten kind of uh, established and, and had a career for so many years. It's not the kind of thing that, that bothers me personally as much as it, it bothers me for other people, for younger musicians. I just think it's weird that they all have to go through all the stuff you got to go through now. Kind of give your music away for nothing and then get it taken for nothing when you finally get a gig. You know what I mean? It's just... So your problem, Mike, is that you're too darn famous, okay? Because anywhere you go, there's going to be somebody with a cell phone and they're going to be either taking your video or they're going to be taking a video of you playing, okay? Well, just playing. I mean, no one cares if I'm walking around, that's for sure. I mean, I'm not famous like that by any means. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that that's not happening. But um, And it never will. But, but just, play, you know, when you play, there's always two or three people doing it, no matter where. And it's, it's just, it's a track. Some people say, turn off the uh, no video recording before the gig and and i i don't even bother to do that i just would i would kind of hope that people would kind of come to their senses and not do that like all the time and just listen to the gig when it's going down you know you know in the old days there used to be this thing called bootleg albums okay yeah and bootlegs were kind of prized okay because there weren't that many of them and people right. used to sneak it and you know record something and you know dylan had all those bootleg albums and but you're right. Nowadays, it's ubiquitous. Everyone's got a cell phone. Everyone's taking videos and pictures of everything. Oh, well, what can you do? You can't fight City Hall, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. So you're 22 years old, and somehow you get hired to be in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Tell me what that was like. That was great. I mean, it was great, but it was nerve wracking. I was a nervous wreck, 22 years old, and I, I played with all these really great players. Was David was, Clayton Thomas in the was singer still at that time? He was a singer, and Bobby Columbia was playing drums at that time for a little while. He was kind of thinking about retiring, which he did uh, shortly after a few months we were playing together, and then he was kind of 
had already made plans to do some other stuff and just just uh, I guess manage the band kind of and and still creative output for a lot of years. Larry Willis was playing piano, was an amazing piano player, bebop, more of a jazz player, but everything, he'd play everything. And uh, for a while, Jocko Pastorius played bass with the band. Really, with blood, sweat, and tears? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, Bobby had just uh, recorded, when I was in the band, Jocko played for about three months out of the two years that I was in the band. He, Bobby had just recorded a record with uh, with Jocko, you know, produced it and and he he discovered him. And then Jocko, he, he we were, I guess Ron McClure was playing bass, who was an amazing bass player, and he was uh, feeling like it was time to to move on, you know, I guess. And so that was coming to a close. So Bobby asked Jocko, and Jocko said, "Yes, I'll do it. I'll play with." Blood, Sweat, and Tears for a couple months, and he did it for a while. It was before Weather Report, before the Jocko uh, joined Weather Report. We were really tight, me and Jocko. We were, were really good friends for years, for those years, and 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 after that, you know, because I played in his band. After I played with Miles, I played with Word of Mouth for a while with Jocko. He was an amazing player, no question. Amazing player, amazing writer. I mean, just phenomenal writer. And a great guy. He was really cool guy. Nuts, but really cool. But nuts mainly because he was really depressed all the time in, inside. And it never came out. He'd see more of his manic side, but he was he had the opposite kind of really depressed side and never really took care of it. There were so many great musicians that came through Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I'm thinking of, you know, your friend Randy Brecker who was one yeah. of the original guys, and Freddie Lipsius on saxophone. And, of course, Columbia was a great drummer. He really was a great drummer. Yeah, I always told him, don't give up the drums. <laughs> he always laughs. But I think he's still playing. Well, that's nice to hear. I actually had Steve Katz on the uh, podcast early on. Wow. And Steve, you know, was right there from the beginning when Al Cooper was in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. So he had a whole perspective on the band that was completely different from probably the band that you were in at that time, because you were in the later version of the whole thing. But what a great band that was. Exactly. It's fun. All right. So you moved on. You played with Miles. I mean, you know, there's, there's nothing higher in the jazz pyramid than playing with Miles Davis. So tell us how that came about. Well, that was, uh, I was playing, I went back to Boston for a while and just played jazz gigs, a bunch of jazz gigs with um, amazing, I, uh, Jerry Braganzi, this incredible tenor player that I got a chance to play with, and Tiger Okoshi, who was a great trumpet player who was uh, eventually teaching at Berkeley. He wasn't at that time, but he, he was the uh, head of the composition department at, at Berkeley. Great writer, great player. And I think he may have retired, but he, I hope he's still playing because he's a, a, an amazing musician. And and I know Jerry Braganzi's still playing, that's for sure. So uh, so those two guys I was playing with and a couple other gigs that I had around the, that time. And then I got a call from uh, Billy Cobham, not directly, but somebody called me about uh, playing at Billy Cobham's band. So I uh, somehow that's what I did next is I played with Billy for about nine months or so. We went on the road in Europe. It's a really cool band. 
With a fabulous drummer. Oh, an incredible drummer. And then well, with Billy, I um, was playing it. Uh, uh, it was kind of a one-off. It was just after we got off the road. And then we had a gig at the bottom line for a few nights. Uh, maybe maybe it was a tour. I forget if it was a short tour in the States. And we ended up at the bottom line. With Bill Evans, I had played with Bill in Boston, one of these little places that I used to play at. This place called Michael's Jazz Club on Gainsborough Street. And Bill heard about it somehow and came. And I, that's how I met him. And we played some gigs together. And he said, I'm playing with Miles Davis. I didn't believe at the time and I said, okay all right cool you know and then and then he said uh, you know miles has a great guitar player who he, and he did i knew the guitar player but it wasn't working out personally between them so miles might want to change you know uh guitarists and and so i was at the bottom line and uh you know months later with billy and all of a sudden i get a call from Bill Evans on a payphone at the bottom line. This is going back a ways. And uh, and he said, you know, Miles is coming to uh, uh, is coming to the gig tonight, so play your ass off, you know. <laughs> and he brought Miles down and Miles heard me with Billy. And and actually we we kind of looked up, we were playing the second set with Billy, and I knew Miles was there, I didn't see him, but all of a sudden Billy was gone from the stage and it turns out that uh, miles called him off the stage and from the back of the stage he said call he said tell your guitar player to be at studio b at columbia records the next day you know at six o'clock so billy passed that along to me but like it was in the middle of the gig you know we were still playing the rest of the band was still playing but billy kind of stepped off the drums for a minute so it felt a little strange but that's what i did i showed up the next day miles wanted me to play on something that had already been recorded. And I said, I don't really hear it. I went out to the studio, you know, in the, in the recording to, to record something and put my headphones on. And I said, it sounds done to me, you know? So Miles said, okay, okay, we'll, we'll do try again. So the next, a few days later, we did this tune called Fat Time, which was, uh, which was, um, he, he named it after me. That's what he used to call me, Fat Time, because I was heavier in those days and he like anything my... but fat okay yeah i don't get that one at all i thought maybe you had a fat sound or something like that that's where i thought it came from he liked my time feel he liked my time feel and he liked uh, the the you know a certain kind of thing that i did with time i guess but also i was fat at the time so that's what he called me fat time and uh Actually, when I lost weight and went back in the band, at one point I went back in the band and I lost a lot of weight. I got sober and lost a lot of weight. He said, oh, no more fat time. Okay, time. And then they started calling me time. But uh, but it was great, uh, you know, to play with it, in, in, with him, of course. That particular cut was really fun because we did that a few, few days uh, later and I was nervous as hell. And, uh, and Bill just called me over and just said, play Bill Evans said play your ass off on this just play with energy that's all miles wants to hear he wants to hear a lot of energy so i you know i, I didn't second guess it i just went for it and, and it came out good and it was easy because marcus miller was the bass player and al foster was the drummer was the drummer and uh it says you know you can't go wrong with those guys i got a little al foster story for you on the first album that i ever did in the mid 90s I did a cover 
of a Jimi Hendrix song, Fire, okay? And uh, it was arranged by one of the guys in the band, and it was a psychedelic kind of fusion-y type of cover. And Al Foster had been hired by the producer to sit in and play on that cut. And he came, and this is after he played with Miles. Okay, he's at the top of the pyramid, and I'm at the bottom of the pyramid. Okay, <laughs> he comes over to me. He says, "I'm really nervous." I said, "Why?" He says, "Well, I've never played anything like this before." I said, "But you played with Miles Davis." So he said, uh, "What do you think I should do?" I said, "Just play, man." And he did a fantastic job, of course. But it was just so strange to have him telling me how he couldn't play on a song like that. Yeah, that's that's Al though. Al's uh, he's a brilliant drummer and just the most sensitive cat and he plays like that. If they, even if he's playing loud, if he's playing soft, he's playing brushes, he, he's just on the soloist, like he hears everything. He's just a super sensitive guy. That's why he plays so great. That's it. I mean, he really is an awesome, one of the, for me, one of the best musicians I've ever played with. For me, I got to say. He's spectacular. I agree. All right. Look, you've played with everybody in the entire world, it seems. Is there anybody out there that you'd like to play with that you haven't played with yet? I played a little bit with uh, with Herbie. You know, that somebody asked that question. And I was supposed to do this uh, recording with um, with uh, you know, my own record with Chick Corea. Uh, this was a few years ago. And I was supposed to do it then the you know, then I had this injury and I had to cancel everything. I had a serious injury. I fell on the street over some construction that you couldn't see. And it was very camouflaged and I tripped on it. And uh, and I have a nerve damage in my hand ever since then. You know, just like this, right? And I have to use glue to, 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 to play now. You mean to hold the pick? Yeah, to hold the pick. Otherwise, I can't. It just slides around too much. So you you, you use like gorilla glue to hold the pick on TV. I actually use wig. <laughs> it's not gorilla glue. It's wig glue. You know, if you wear a wig, you have to wear. You have to, which I don't. That's one good thing. But I get I get it from Donald Trump. I get it <laughs> wig glue. Donald Trump with original wig glue. <laughs> no, I I have to use that to hold the pick. And it kind of works like this. You know, I'll, hold on one second. I want you to know he's holding the pick in his hand, okay? And he's probably getting the, the wig glue out. That really yeah. is very funny. You know, because if you use the wrong glue, I guess that pick will stick to your hand forever. It's crazy. Yeah, you can't do you can't do Gorilla Glue or your, it'll clobber your skin. But this is what I have to do to play. And... It's nuts, but it works, you know, it's. All right, we're getting the Mike Stern concert here and uh, nobody's got a cell phone out <laughs> and he's got the pick in his hands. That's, that's it. That's how I have to do it. That's so funny. Weird. I mean, it's really been a challenge, to say the least, to to, uh, to have that happen and then to keep going, you know, because uh, because I can tell what I'm what I used to be able to do. 
and and the tendency for probably most people that has had an injury like this and has to come back from it is you always compare to where you were, you know, before, you know, and before the accident instead of, I mean, for me, the best thing, of course, and, and, and sometimes I can do this is just really compare to how bad it was when this first happened. Cause I had to have a whole bunch of surgeries on this hand. You had to kind of reteach yourself how to play your saying. Kind of, it's almost like a Pat Martino or Les Paul kind of thing. I was going to say, Pat Martino, for anybody who doesn't know, he had, what, a stroke or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And he, had a, he had to learn again how to play the guitar. Which he did, like crazy. Amazing, huh? Yeah. That's the people like that are Django Reinhardt, another one. Really, he got burned badly in his hand and, and to managed to... to figure it out that was on his left hand actually where he you know if it's that had happened yeah it would be over but uh but it didn't you know who's the other guy i'm thinking oh uh jerry garcia lost half a finger or something like that oh, i didn't know that. on one of his hands yeah yeah well you just keep going if you love it enough <laughs> you keep trying to so uh so that's what I've been doing. And I'm playing a lot. I'm playing more than I want to actually sometimes, but I love to play. So, uh, so I'm doing a lot of gigs and I just got back from Europe. Hi everybody. This is Robert Miller. My new single all of the time is a playful, whimsical love song. It's light and airy and exudes the happiness and joy of being in love. The reviewers love it too. Melody Maker has given it five stars and calls it pure bliss, an intimate sound with abundant melodic riches. Pop Icon also gave it five stars and called it ecstasy. You can stream all of the time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. The links are in the show notes to this episode. And you can download it from the pgsstore.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review too, if you're so inclined. You can do all of that and check out all of our episodes by visiting our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. Okay, listen, I want to move to the uh, the second part of this interview because we got some good material to play. In fact, I got something, you're not going to like it, but I found something online from one of your most recent gigs in Europe, okay? But it sounds really good. I want you to know. Okay. But let's start with, right now, I'm playing underneath us the song that you talked about before. It's Fat Time. Okay, it's from Miles' album, The Man with the Horn, from 1981.
give me your recollections. Give me your thoughts on that song. It's it's an iconic song at this point. You know, the thing about Miles is sometimes he would have the melody in his head and he didn't really tell us anything to do in terms of the chord chain. We didn't have charts or anything. It was just kind of C minor and then go to A, kind of a Spanish groove. And once we kind of jammed it, it was simple enough and we just felt it. And Miles had the melody just already in his mind. You know, he just held up the trumpet and played it. So it's pretty amazing. I've heard stories about that before. He'd walk into the studio or into re rehearsal and basically no instructions, right? A lot of times he would just do it by ear. Well, he's Miles. He could get away with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the band, it was Marcus Miller that kind of held the fort down. And Marcus and Al together, they just kind of knew what he was talking about and, and uh, played the right stuff for the rhythm section and then we kind of follow so uh yeah those guys you know marcus was amazing at that too as as at just coming up with a, a groove with the kind of groove that miles would want because miles would be kind of explaining it but he left a lot of room for for whoever he was talking to to create their own way to do that like he told me so when i before i did that cut he said I want you to play like flamenco guitar. I went, what? You know, got the wrong guy. But but then I I kind of sensed what he was talking about in terms of the energy, I guess, in a, in a certain way. And it goes to the Spanish kind of Phrygian thing. But at the end of the day, I just did what I did. You know, he liked the fact that I had that I could rock, that I love rock, and 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 of course bebop too. You know, and that I had that that combination he really liked that so he let me go with it and that's what he wanted you know and sometimes if i do too much bebop he'd say no i'm more like jimmy and i kind of got the vibe <laughs> what that was about that's funny all right so we're going to move ahead now the first one was from 1981 this one is one of your tunes from 1988 chromosome us a little bit about that experience well that you know i uh I, i'm not sure if that was with bob berg and and on the, on the tenor saxophone i'm not sure if that was then probably was with bob berg who i love we had a band together and dennis chambers was on drums and uh was this on the record you're talking about the recording yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, on oh. your album Oh yeah, that's the. I'm sorry, that's with uh, Peter Erskine, and um, we played on that cut, and uh, uh, Michael Brecker played in that cut, and uh, I forget. Probably it was Jeff Andrews playing the bass. We used to play together a lot. We actually played in Michael Brecker's band together, but uh, that was before that band. And I forget who else. I think that was basically a Jim Beard played piano. That's what it was. Jim Beard played uh, 
who's amazing. I still work with him a lot. He's an incredible piano player. Plays with Steely Dan a lot, but he's he does a whole bunch of stuff. He's an incredible composer and, and you know keyboards, all all that stuff. So that was a fun cut. It was just that whole record. This had to be one of your first albums, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was second record on Atlantic Records. I did one called Niche. <laughs> on the on the uh, for a Japanese label first, with Hiram Bullock produced it actually, and then he produced the very first one I did called Upside Downside. That was the one on Atlantic Records, and this is the second one, Time and Place, and that cut is on there. So it was it was great. It was great to be uh, be able to do that to record and and have a record company behind you. Now, which which guy at Atlantic was it was overseeing? Was it Nasui Erdogan that was overseeing what you were doing? I'm not sure who they had at that point. I know one of the Erdogan guys. It was his one of those guys. It wasn't Erdogan, but he was a cousin or something like that. Uh, Ahmed Erdogan was was a big fan and kind of helped me stay there for a while. I was there for a long time with Atlantic. I did ten records for them. And I didn't want to do one every year. So it was over a few years. And it was great to be there. It was a great record label during that era. Okay. They had so much stuff going on. Totally. Well, they had Led Zeppelin. <laughs> they had, uh, you know, a lot of blues. They had Clapton, if I remember as well. You know, of course they had Aretha. Aretha. Yeah, exactly. They had Aretha. Yeah. You can't. All right, so let's move on. I want to jump ahead. We're going to do now we're playing Song for Barry that you did with the Brecker Brothers. This is from, I think, 2011. So tell us a little bit about that experience, playing with the Brecker Brothers. It was earlier than that. I think it may have been put up not too long ago, but I think we did it earlier than that. But, uh, oh, it was great um, playing with, it's always great playing with, uh, you know, I still do gigs with Randy and it's like a, always just a treat. And he's such an amazing musician. I got a little Randy story as well. On my first record, this is back in the mid-90s. I told this story once before on one of the podcast episodes. We, it was a funky kind of tune that I had written, and we left room for a solo. Somebody said, why don't you have a trumpet play this solo? I said, great. Who do you recommend? They said, why, why don't you get Randy Brecker? So it turned out the producer knew Randy, called him up, brought him in. Randy listened to the song for about one and a half minutes, Okay took out his trumpet, played the solo perfectly the first time, put it away, and that was it, okay? If he was in the studio for five minutes, it was a lot, but it was perfect. Yeah, I know, I know. That's Randy. He's amazing, really amazing player. 
and so you know, playing with, of course, Mike was a really close friend of mine also. And, Another spectacular player. And helped me a lot personally. Uh, so I, I miss him like crazy. And it's just, it's good that uh, I love playing with Randy still. It's always great. And it's just a, so the whole family is really cool. I met his sister. She's, according to Mike, he used to say she was the best musician in the family. Really? But she didn't play. She didn't opt to keep going. She was a piano player. But she's probably amazing if they say that. And I think Randy said that too. But um, but they're just really good, good people. Um, I know that his parents a little bit too. Spectacular. All right, just another group of all-stars that you've played with. Okay, an amazing group of all-stars. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go to that that last one that I mentioned. This is the Mike Stern Band. Okay, this you just did this in Rome about a week or two ago. It was July 10th. You had Bob Franceschini on tenor. You had Chris Mindoki on bass, Dennis Chambers on drums, and a guy named Mike Stern on the guitar. And it's really a pretty good recording. I know you don't like these YouTube things, but this came out really nice. Yeah, oh, good, okay. about that tour that you just came off of well the tour was great actually that was the one that my wife couldn't make because she was on the tour with us and she got sick on the road i'm still got a little bit of it myself because i caught it from her it was just some kind of cold that she got we thought every every time you get a cold nowadays you test for covid right away and it wasn't that and she tested again and it wasn't that you know it was that kind of thing we made sure but it's just, just a kind of a flu-like thing you know light flu and uh and so it's, we're both on the mend with that but she missed that one gig and she did the next one she was feeling better the next day in london we played in london the next day but the whole tour was fun really fun it's really i've enjoyed playing gigs with my wife uh, you know she's a really good guitar player really wonderful singer and a wonderful composer and and just just uh, we've been married for forty years, and at this point, I don't want to go on the road without you know if it's possible. Isn't that nice? I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, his wife's name is Lenny, L E N I Stern, and uh, I've got a brand new granddaughter whose name is Lenny, L E N I. So I love that name. Yeah, her my my wife's name is Magdalena, actually. It's uh, that's it's just the nickname from that Laney. She she they pronounce it Laney, but that's nice to know. That's nice to know. And she she writes cool music. She's working. It's really fresh. It's like just a trio with just a percussionist from Africa. Uh, Alun Fai is an amazing percussionist, and Mama Dubai, who's a uh, an amazing bass player. And they're both uh, living in Brooklyn, but they're they're from Senegal, and it's beautiful stuff and Lanny puts her own compositions with that kind of feel on it she knows a lot about that kind of 
music. So it's kind of world music that she does. But it was fun. She she comes out. Basically, we play a couple of her tunes, mainly my tunes, on the on the tour. And it's just it's so much fun. And she she loves the tour more than I do. So I want to. That works out great. Isn't that cool? Have you toured with her before, or is this new in your relationship? No, it's rel relatively new. So uh, we kind of left it until uh, I said, "Well, that's when we're getting close to seventy. Let's tour together." And here we are. So. It kind of worked out. Good for you. All right. You know, as I, I asked you before, and I don't think I got an answer. You've played with almost everybody that I could possibly think oh, of yeah. in the world. Who haven't you played with yet that you'd like to play? Yeah, you know, I was talking about the record that I was on, to, you know, where I got this injury was the, uh, I was going to ask Chick Korea and he agreed. He said, great, let's do it. And we were going to play, you know, a bunch of those uh, tunes from this uh, record that subsequently was called Trip because I tripped and I got this, uh, you know, this accident. So I called the, called the record after that unfortunate incident. But, or you can take it any other way. Trip is whatever, whatever, however you. <laughs> well, listen, it, it, Trip is better than wig glue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But so, so, you know, I, um, I was going to play with Chick. That's somebody that I hadn't played with before, and I was so excited. So when you asked me that question, that's what I was. I was really sad about that. That uh, this prevented me from doing that, and then I wanted to do it later. And now he passed, so that's yes. really a sad thing. I knew him decently. Like I could come, you know, met him a few times, and a guy named you know Dave Weckle, great right. drummer, uh, played with him a bunch over the years. And, uh, you know, we, we played in my band together over the years and then a co-led band that we had. And so uh, I always heard about Chick and, and kind of met him a few times and I was just excited about them doing that. I played with Herbie Hancock on just on one cut, maybe a couple different times uh, on, on with Michael Brecker, just on a recording situation. But I would love to play with him. That's somebody I would love to play with because he's such an awesome Monster, total monster musician. Yep. Yeah, monster musician. Absolutely incredible. What about on the rock side? Is there anybody in the rock side that you would like to play with? Well, you know, I play with Tony Carey, as you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, did he? I have a question for you. Did he write uh, "Smoke on the Water" or he was in the band? No, he was in the band. That was um, oh dear, what's the name? Deep Purple, right? Deep he was Purple. In that's it. That's it. Is in the band. I don't know if he was in that. He played with uh, Richie Blackmore. Oh, that's what Rainbow. Um, but I think he just likes to perform uh, "Smoke on the Water," which you guys did with the Mandoki Soulmates, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, but I think he might have had something to do with writing that. I think so, but uh, he's written a lot of stuff. He's an amazing musician. I, I don't, you know, there's plenty of rockers I'd love to play with, actually. But I mean, you know, but who knows? I don't even think about that as a as a realistic, just because the worlds are kind of far apart. You know, I'm more of a jazz musician, and that's that's a whole different thing. I could just imagine you playing together with like a Jeff Beck or yeah. uh, even a Clapton. But Beck would be the guy. I did a concert with Jeff Beck one time, like, you know, when we were opening. 
for him. It was kind of double billed, actually. It's the same, but it was me and Didier Lockwood. It was in France, and Didier Lockwood was, was an amazing French violinist who was huge star in France. So it was Mike Stern and Didier Lockwood band, and then Jeff Beck played after us. You know, as the main. Thing, but it was kind of billed equally. I was amazed. I thought, oh shit, this is Jeff Beck. But it really went out. It was, it sounded, it, it worked perfectly actually that, that, you know, that night I remember. But yeah, that would be somebody fun, to, really fun to play with. There's a lot of rockers. I can't even think of them that you know, I'd love to play with, you know. I'd do some stuff with and Who knows? Maybe something like that will happen. But uh, Jeff Beck or Eric Clapton really he was one of my all-time heroes when i was little when he was in the cream you know both those cats both those cats i listen to more blues guys than rock guitar but uh but i love both those guys and and of course jimmy Hendrix. well at this at this point in your career i'm sure you could play with anybody that you wanted to uh we have been talking here with mike stern one of the great guitarists of all time Mike, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast, okay? It's like living the history of jazz and guitar and everything over the last 25, 30 years. You've been with everybody. I congratulate you. You've given so much pleasure to so many people, and it's just great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, now we're going to listen to the song of mine that started off this podcast episode. It's called Yeah, Yeah from the album uh, PGS7. I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Yeah.